Right. So good morning, Oak Life. I want to see, I mean, y'all still awake? Give me the, give me the snaps. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, welcome, welcome. There are some unfamiliar faces. Doesn't mean this is your first time here, but if you're new, I appreciate you. We welcome you. Um, want to give a couple disclaimers. If you are new, this is not my usual gig up here. So in the spirit of a new series, God of the Margins, in the spirit of Carl, my main man, leading worship, which was kind of a new experience for the recent people here, uh, we have the newness of me speaking. So this is uh, the first time giving a sermon. This is going to be a breeze. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because I get to talk about superheroes. I'm a fan of superheroes. Who, what were some favorite superheroes? Wonder Woman. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Black Panther. Okay. Spider-Man. Nice, 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 nice. Deadpool. Princess of Power. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Duh. I should have told you. I should have told you that. All right. So I'm not sure about you guys, but the reason why I'm such a fan of superheroes is because of the origin stories. Anytime I come across a superhero, nine out of ten times, I'm a fan of theirs because of their origin story. You get to... Get to know about them, get to connect, right? So, in fact, let's see. Take a look at some some people, right? So, X-Men. X-Men is super cool. What a lot of people or some people may not know about the X-Men is that they actually were rooted out of the civil rights movement. Stan Lee wanted to talk about the tension, but he wanted to do it in a way that wouldn't get backlash. So he created the X-Men, a team of mutants representing the margins, came from the margins, that's who they fought for, and you have Xavier, which was the main leader of the hero, and Magneto, who was the main leader of the villains, who were literally depicting these two individuals. They represented the positive fight from the margins, as well as the quote-unquote negative fight from the margins. So interesting background. Learned up about that. Thought that was pretty cool. This is somebody's favorite, right? Make some noise, Spider-Man. Finish the phrase. With great power. Comes great responsibility. Amen. Amen. Now, the cool thing about Spider-Man, what made him so cool, is he was a teenager. He dealt with pimples. He dealt with awkwardness. <laughs> he dealt with being bullies. He dealt with uh, having to turn in his term paper while saving the world. He was very relatable. So when you got to find out who Spider-Man was, you got to realize that he was one of us kind of represented the little guy. He was super cool about that. Now, um, the question is, okay, so what does this have to do with the God of margins? Um, Connor, thank you for asking that question. Brilliant question. It, <laughs> to understand how God is a part of the margins, we gotta understand his origin story. And I'm not talking about necessarily that he's from heaven and, and all that, but like, where was Jesus? Where did his ministry start? The origin story of, of Jesus' um, mission here where he's from, what he stands for, and what he's calling us toward. So uh, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for this moment. Thank you for being awesome, Lord. Thank you for giving us this space and opportunity to learn more about you as we learn more about one another. Father, as we listen to your word, I pray that all the words that are heard come from you, Lord. Allow me to not be a distraction in this moment, Father, but to just be a conduit to what you have for us this morning. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. All right, so Jesus was from the margins. Now, one of the questions was, when you hear margins, what do you think of? Throw out some words. When you hear the margins, what do you think of? Paper. Paper. Oh, did you see my notes? 
That's what I think of. I think of paper, all right? So I think of th that part, right? That's the margins. Anybody else think of that, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's the margins. <laughs> For sake of conversation, we'll kind of use this framework. We'll say that this is the majority, all right? So when you hear about the margins in a societal or systemic viewpoint, you get people who are poor, colored people, female, LGBT. This is what has been had the biggest story via media as to individuals who are marginalized. Doesn't limit to this some other categories. I call them the uns. We have the uneducated, untech working, unpopular, unusual, uncommon, unable, and ultimately making them the unwelcome. Now, Jesus is not a stranger to this. We're gonna take a look. He fit all in the margins. He was all in the margins. He came from Nazareth. Now, in John 1, 46, you got these two characters. You got Philip and you got Nathaniel. Philip's like, yo, this is the guy that the Messiah, or the prophet's been talking about, this is the Messiah. He's, he's the one to come and save us. This is Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. He's pumped. And then you got Nathaniel like, wait, you say Nazareth? Like, what good can come from Nazareth? It cracks me up because I remember about, ooh, 10 years or so ago, I was working for the University of Phoenix in Oakland. And we had campuses everywhere. Fremont, Livermore, Sacramento campuses, stuff like that. We'd have trainings in our SAC campuses that go out there. And I was early 20s at the time. Everybody would be like, oh, what campus are you from? i say, I'm from Oakland. Never fail. This is their response. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. For whatever reason, Oakland just had a bad rep. I've worked with students. Classes were from 6 to 10, four hours in the evening work with students. Just to finish their program, they had to complete some classes. So I was like, hey, all right, you have this class available in Oakland. They're like, ooh, can I take it online? Can I take it somewhere else? Nobody wanted to be in Oakland. It just had a bad rep. I could imagine that's similar to Nazareth. To just paint that picture, you have the Roman Empire, which was the place to be, and then kind of the outskirts was Israel, and then the ghetto of Israel was Nazareth. So this is where Jesus is from. He's from the hood, basically. Century. He speaks Aramaic. Now, where he is, the common language is Arabic. So he had a second language. He's up here speaking to the Roman Empire, and he has an accent. All right, keep that in mind. He was a tectone. We call it a, uh, well, it translates to woodworker, carpenter, what we refer to. The significant thing about this is that was an artisan class level task. You have the rulers, the governing class, the merchants, the um, tax collectors, you have the priests, Pharisees, you have the artisans and the peasants, and then you have the outcasted and the unclean. So this job depended on other jobs within that community. So the tectone would depend on the fishermen, would depend on the farmer, the younger women would take care of the neighboring older women or pregnant women. It was very, very local lifestyle, very expensive to travel out. Everybody depended on one another. Long story short, Jesus knew this peasant lifestyle. He knew living in the margins. He knew poverty. This is where he's from. All right, so just to kind of wrap this up, I want you to imagine a less than middle class labor worker from an unrespected neck of the woods with an accent and a little bit of an attitude. I mean, I'm telling you, he made whips. He called the, the emperor a fox, which was a derogatory term of its day. I don't think it means anything today, but he had a little bit of an attitude. He was from the hood. I'm just I'm trying to say, you gotta, you gotta imagine this. And the reason why we have to imagine this is because it really puts the next step into perspective. 
All right, so what I, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4. It's going to be right up here, so if you don't. Right there. To kind of set the stage, I'm going to read uh, right before 17 and 16. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. I'm going to pause there. This is what is common. This is where he's from. They know Jesus. They know him. They knew when he grew up. They knew his friends. They knew what he was afraid of. They had an understanding of who Jesus was as a person. Nobody out of the ordinary. So next, 17, it says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. I'll pause again. So this scroll was already selected. Jesus didn't necessarily know that it was happening. But when he saw it, he went exactly to where he needed to be to set into motion his ministry. This is cool. The next part says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover of sight, recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. He's always been about the oppressed. He's always been about the margins. This word oppressed in the Greek translates to the broken or the shattered. He has been about the people who need him most, as was sung in the worship song today. 19 says, he's done this to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 20, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, Isaiah is like 16 books before the gospel. So this is like a long time ago. God's always been about the oppressed. So Jesus, this person that everyone looks like, everyone is familiar with, is telling them, all right, don't go away no more, I'm here. It was offensive to say the least. So if you continue reading in this particular chapter, they want to throw him off a cliff. They're like, oh, this is blasphemy. I'm going to throw you off a cliff. And Jesus being the ninja that he was, hit him with the Jesus juke, was gone. Nobody, <laughs> nobody can touch Jesus. Like, I love in the scripture when they talk about that. They're like, he just vanished through the crowds. I'm like, that's so tight. Um, it's just really cool. So we got to keep in mind, this person, not only is he lower middle class, labor worker, with, with an accent, a little bit of an attitude, now he's not liked. All right, now this is the jumping, launching pad for his ministry. After this scene, he goes, he starts healing people, he continues teaching, he gathers his first disciples, and then what's next, what follows, is arguably the foundation of all his teaching, the foundation of the gospel. All right, so we've talked about where he's from. Now we're gonna talk a little bit about what he's for, what God is for. So the next part, after four, chapter four in Luke, and also chapter four in Matthew, we get to the Sermon on the Mount. So let's see. All right, now before we read this, um, Matthew 4, 25, verse 25 says that large, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So after he kind of, you know, set everybody ablaze with his declaration of what he came to do. He started teaching, healing people. Everyone got, got like the buzz. They're like, all right, ready. who's this Jesus guy? So a ton of people from the highest, highest of religious backgrounds to the lowest, lowest of non-religious backgrounds and every shade in between has got his attention. So let's read this together. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. 
his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who mourn, excuse me, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, I want to take a moment for, for us to kind of reread that, and I want to hear what stands out. Anything stand out to anybody in particular? I'd say most of it's all about people who are in the margin. Like most of the people higher up wouldn't necessarily have to deal with some of that stuff. Like hunger and yeah. I respect that. Observation, I appreciate it. You got my lesson. Yes, I'm done. I'm gonna go home, drop the mic. Anybody else? Anybody else one more? I just think hope. There's hope in all of this because even when we're down and trodden, God has a better plan. God has a, a good thing for us. He is only good. And mm -hmm. that's all he gives us. So I you know, to be a child of God, to be in the kingdom of heaven, you will be, it says after eleven, it says when you're persecuted, rejoice and exalt and be glad because I have Amen. Amen. That was good. Thank you. Um, if you heard anything, if any of that stood out to you and it, it was like, oh, I like that, just hold on to that. You can tune out for the rest of this. That was good. Well said. Well said. So there is a scholar, Frederick Dale Bruner, that he uses the term, so the word bless in the Greek translates to happy. So it could be happy are the poor in spirit, happy are those who mourn. He says that in its context, it could also be read as fortunate are you because God is with you saying that, that God's on your side. So if we reread from three to four, it could say, fortunate are the poor in spirit because God is on their side, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Fortunate are those who mourn because God is on their side, for they will be comforted. Fortunate are the meek, so on and so forth. Jesus, from the margins, came to tell us that God has always been for the margins. All right, now, what does this necessarily mean to me, right? What does this mean to us? Great question, Connor. You, you're just on it with the question, and I appreciate you. This is God's way of telling us what we are supposed to be aimed toward. God, from the margins, 
for the margins so that we can go toward the margins because that's where he is. So the Beatitudes are a declaration. They say kind of where God is, right? But this chapter, chapter five, ends with um, the, the, the famous love your enemies. Now, it's very interesting here with the, with the love your enemies. Um, it says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So if individuals persecute you, yeah, that sucks. But I just want to take a deeper look. So the word for neighbor is policeion. Everyone say policeion. I probably butchered it, and you did too with being recorded, so I got you on tape. <laughs> and the word for enemy is extros. Say extros. Extros. Okay, cool. So for the first one, neighboring, this means near. All right, so near and proximity. Anybody who is near to me, who lives near to me, is my neighbor. The original teaching was to love them. It is very easy to imagine that this can also be interpreted as anyone who is near to me in culture, near to me in appearance, near to me in language, in education, in stature, I will love them. Now, the term for enemy, extros, means anyone who is hated or seeming hostile. Again, very easy to imagine that anyone who is the antithesis of near, anyone who is far from me in appearance, far from me in stature, far from me in education, far from me in lifestyle and culture. If they're that far, it's not hard to imagine that they can seem hostile. They can seem a threat because I don't know them. They are not within my majority. They are within a minority group. They're in the margins. I don't know them. Therefore, they're hostile. Therefore, they're an enemy. Jesus is telling us to love those in the margins. We know he's from the margins. We know that God is with the margins. And in this, this simple, awesome verse, he says, love those. Now is the commandment. Love those in the margins. Um, an illustration that kind of alludes to this. We have Matthew 25 later in the book of Matthew. Uh, and this is the last scripture. I'm using all these scriptures in church. Like, what? Right. So this is the last one, I promise. Um, <laughs> we have the parable of the sheep and the goats. So Jesus is, is teaching in parables. I love parables. They're like dope analogies. And <laughs> he's saying that the king will return. Jesus, Lord, will return. And he will be like awesome, like blowing and strengthful looking and mighty and all that good stuff, right? And what he will do is he compares this. Jesus compares this coming back to a shepherd and a sheep. He will put the sheep, the righteous, on the right he will put the unrighteous, the goats, on the left. And then he will say to the righteous, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, the righteous people are like, this is the first time we're seeing you. I'm kind of scared. When did we do these things? I don't know what you're talking about. So Jesus says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did me. Now, going back to that dope framework we had, right? we're these. All of us are these. Right? It's not an us and a them. We are all these. And what the king is saying, what Jesus is saying, is what you did for the least of these, anyone who was marginalized, anyone who was far from you in appearance, stature, culture, education, you did for him. God declares one more time that he is with the marginalized and tells us that we are we need to go to the marginalized one um, to kind of wrap this up 
one illustration I have. Um, in this first picture, I used to work with boys. Shout out to Mish working for youth. It is not easy work. Nonprofit work. Yeah, yeah, make, make some noise. It is not easy. It's not glamorous. It's not fruitful in monetary aspects, but in other aspects it is. Amen. Right. So these two knuckleheads, I've worked with them for years. Um, the interesting thing about working at a camp, right? So this is a juvenile detention facility of sorts. You find out why the youth were here, what they did. But that's, that's just like surface stuff. That has nothing, very little to do with their origin story. The longer you spend time with them, the longer you connect with them, you start to see who they are as a person. And if you're lucky, you get that moment of vulnerability where you can actually see God in them. You can see what God has put in them, the gifts that they have that they're not even aware of. And if, again, if you're lucky, they can see that in you. You build that relationship and everything hard about the job goes away. It's like that moment of clarity, like, yo, this is why I'm here. This is the purpose that God has given me to just be with this person. Not to necessarily do anything for the person, but just to be there. In another circumstance, completely opposite, I was also at a campsite, but this was a men's retreat. Now, in this first scenario, I am the older one. I am the more educated one. I am the one with more resources. I am the one that's there to help, quote unquote. I am the majority. In this second scenario, I'm in Livermore with a bunch of guys who are older than me, have more money than me, have more education than I do. And I'm like, in a, like 70 guys, one of like three black guys. Most people were white. Not a good thing, not a bad thing, just a thing. In this scenario, I was having conversations with people, and despite the level of affluency that they had, there were some broken dudes there. Like, straight up broken dudes. Heard some stories that, they, they were tear jerkers. I'm not, I'm not a crier, but so what? I should have teared. You know, it was, it was some tough stuff. And again, in that moment of vulnerability, I got to see what God was doing in their lives and what God was putting them through so that they could run back to God. And I got to be a part of that. I'm not saying that I'm good, I have all the answers. But what I am saying is that God, again, being from the margins, has always called us to the margins and in two different capacities. Yes. The challenge is for us to go to the margins. God has always been for the margins. He sent his son from the margins so that we can go to the margins. As a society, as a body, as a group of people, we're physically called to go to the margins. And we know who's marginalized. We can see that. The media tells us every day. You can walk down a couple streets here. You can see who is marginalized. We're called to go there. Also, in our conversations, in our relationships with one another, all the concepts and the details of our life that we push to the margin, that's where God is too. He wants us to connect on a deeper level because that's where he's waiting for us. Not just in the, hey, how you doing? How's the kids? How's the wife? Like, that's cool. That's the starting point. He calls us to something deeper because that's where he's going to be. To anybody who's new here, if you're new to the church, I just welcome you to spend more time with us. I want to hear your origin story. I want to learn more about you and hope that you have the attention span to listen to mine too. If you are a veteran to the church and I messed up any of this theology stuff and you want to prove me wrong, feel free to do so. Let's just do it over burrito, get kind of hungry. And if you are hurt, if the idea of being marginalized or oppressed or broken resonates with you in this moment, I want you to know that God is with you. And I don't say that as some cookie-cutter phrase, but throughout Scripture, God's story has always reminded us that he is with you. He loves you. And I encourage you not only to hold on 
but to join with others who are broken, because that's where God will be waiting. Let's pray. Lord, I, again, just thank you for this time. I pray, Father, that your children are taken care of, that you place your hand upon them. Father, I pray that your people are connected to you in ways that they have never been. Father, so that they may be strengthened and aware of how you love them. Most importantly, I pray that your will is done, Father. Not necessarily that we may be um, focused on the good aspects of what you have for us, but also the challenges that you call us toward. Because that's where we get to know you, Father, and that's where we get to know who you've designed in us. I thank you for joining us this morning. And I just pray safety, uh, clarity, and prosperity for your people this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. We can welcome up Sadie. Close this out with an announcement and a benediction. <laughs>